This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Fields, the podcast, with Melissa Metric and Wythe Marshall. On Fields, we bring you stories about the future, present, and past of urban agriculture, and in general, explore really interesting concepts and meet lots of fascinating people who get up every day and grow food in and around cities, starting with the city we live in, New York City. Moreover, we'll investigate all the whys behind getting up in the morning and working as a farmer in the city today. And today we thought we would pick up uh, the conversation about growing at home in the era of the coronavirus pandemic. But in this case, um, we wanted to talk about something a little different. So instead of home gardening of plants or mushrooms, we were thinking about um, the same tiny organisms or semi-organisms that you, you can't see uh, that sometimes cause us to have a, a pretty negative reaction. Um, those are what drive a lot of the foods that we eat. And a lot of people are uh, growing them at home right now. They're super excited about sourdough starters. So uh, Melissa, did you want to fill us in on what you've been growing and talking with, with our friends about growing essentially? Going to the the second stage of like growing your own food, what are you going to do after you are going to um, preserve it, right? So this whole idea of preserving your food and that's pickling, canning. Um, also, there's been like first week of COVID-19, everybody's sheltering in place. Everybody's making sourdough bread with their own starter. Like <laughs> Yeah. And like, this is where it's so interesting because you're inviting a wild uh, yeah, fungus yeah. to colonize this preparation of flour and water. And, uh, you know, you're going to get um, basically uh, some, some randomness, some randomness of flavor because uh, these are microbes and they, they divide, you know, they grow really rapidly and they're always, you know, mutating just like anything. So you, it's a really interesting process to think that you're you're actually enjoying some of that randomness that is um, inherently just the slightest bit dangerous. I don't think sourdough starters are dangerous, but you know, it's sort of tied to that same idea of exposure to microbes. And when do we want to control that exposure? And in this case, it's actually sort of, we don't want to control. We want to be exposed. We want the, the fungus to be healthy and to, to keep dividing and growing, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I think that's such an interesting idea, like the idea of control, right? Like, can we ever control it? And this is a whole concept of like, we have these microbes around all the time. Like I was asking my friend Kate, who gave me her wild starter for the sourdough. And I was like, how did you create this sourdough? And she was like, I don't know. I just put some flour and water and put it on my windowsill. And we're like, ew, so this is your apartment yeast? <laughs> like, like, really? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's the, <laughs> it's the taste of that uh, beta tear. You know, it, that, that is... Um, that is the whole idea that is so interesting. And, and, you know, beer makers and wine makers, um, you know, culture, these, these, uh, land races essentially yeah. of yeast. Um, and, you know, we don't think of it quite the same way with sourdough starters, but it's part of that same process of relating to your environment, um, in a way that's not totally controlling. And obviously during a pandemic, we want to emphasize, you know, it makes total sense to control your environment and wipe it all down 
especially if you're in a vulnerable population or it's very hard to get that distance. But with, with at the same time, many people are, who are worried about these things are also inviting the wild yeast. So it's, it's a really interesting way to sort of view, if you can imagine these invisible organisms, you know, yeah. um, which you're trying to keep out and what you're trying to, to um, live with. Well, okay. So this is another interesting thing that I want to bring up. Um, so I was reading Sandor Katz's wild fermentation today because our next class is going to be on preservation. Right. And, um, so he was talking about this whole push towards antibacterial soaps during a certain time period. And even with COVID-19, they aren't saying antibacterial soap. They're saying literally wash your hands with soap. That's all you need to do. Granted it's COVID-19 and it breaks down really easily or it rubs off your skin really easily. So that's the reason why all you need to do is soap. But it, it's just this interesting, I don't know, the idea of control and well, I don't know how to kind of really delve into this in a way where I don't sound like a Luddite, but but it's like, I study science. I love science. I teach science, but really I teach it through like a cultural lens. Um, and I totally respect Western medicine and everything that's happening right now, especially with COVID-19 things being sterile, especially in these kind of environments and hospitals and things and everybody be, being protected. But it's also just this idea of our regular person's concept of what bacteria and fungi is and how dangerous it is compared to when we actually do have a pandemic, the difference is that, I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the social sciences, um, one of my mentors, Heather Paxson, who's an anthropologist who writes about food, um, talked about this sort of, um, creation of a regime of, um, past pasture, uh, Sir Louis Pasteur, one of the discoverers of the fact there are microbes, you know, period. The idea that we wanted to pasteurize everything, meaning remove the microbes, and the microbes are sort of the enemy, in that uh, that was a Pasteurian sort of framework for controlling living things around us. Because before that, nobody cared about microbes because they didn't know microbes existed. And then, um, and actually, if anything, they did love microbes. They just didn't think of them as microbes, but they made beer, right, and bread, mm -hmm. uh, and wine, and whatever else, cheese. So um, in a way, the Pasteurian framework for controlling environments um, was linked to, yeah, like uh, changes in basic science, but also, yeah, to medicine and the idea of clean surgical theaters um, and, and, and food safety, the idea that we want our food um, to be not, you know, infiltrated by, by pathogenic microbes. Mm -hmm. So that all makes a lot of sense. But what she writes about is after, um, you know, a lot of these things become legislated a certain way so that foods have to be prepared, you know, big industrial companies have to be compliant with um, laws that really eliminate all the microbes, good, bad, whatever, uh, that, that now artisanal food producers, people who are going back to crafting, homesteading, prepping, uh, they're engaging in this kind of post-pasturian regime of working with the environment, going back to a more artisanal mode where they're bringing in um, some of the risk, but a lot of the benefit of um, being more open and being less controlling, um, but still, of course, sterilizing certain equipment, you know, yeah. trying to be safe, but at the same time, um, trying to engage with microbes in a different way. I think that tension is, is really interesting when at the same time you have a pandemic and people are definitely, you know, trying to kill all the microbes. And like you said, buying uh, antibacterial soap, even though COVID's caused by a virus and normal soap kills it. But then they're going home and creating wild yeast starters. And so inviting in uh, this, this random kind of wild yeast. So I, I do think there's something beautiful about people paying attention or seeing, uh, imagining in a way that they're seeing the microbes around them and relating to them at all. And, uh, and maybe relating with, maybe actually one could 
this is kind of a hypothesis, but, you know, relating to yeast in a less scary way as a kind of friendly organism that's helping you produce something. So it's a useful tool, even a kind of like a pet, like a plant, like it doesn't do yeah. much. You uh, but, eat it. But you have to you. feed it twice a day. Yeah, it's crazy. It so it's like, you know, that could help you be a little less afraid of the idea, you know, that there are dangerous microbes we need to be aware of, but it's not like, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, a, it's a very complex world out there. And I feel like sometimes that lesson from science gets lost in our daily lives. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I think it's also the idea of that microbes are in our ecosystem, that there's a whole ecosystem of fungi and bacteria, and it's all around us. And when we cultivate our own yeast, um, and when we preserve certain things um, in a safe way, that we're actually cultivating different um, varieties of these yeasts and, and bacteria and things like that. So it's like, you know, when you go and buy the yeast at the store, it's all like one variety. But when you're cultivating your own yeast in your apartment, that could be a completely different strain or, or you know, so you're actually growing this ecology or growing this ecosystem. Um, and that is then going into you. So that is going to change the ecosystem of bacteria and fungi that are in your body. So it's just like this interesting thing to think about it, the like larger scale of it where, you know, we're not just, um, what would be the word like in conventional farming when you have a monocrop, like you're not going to have a monocrop of yeast anymore or like how yeast and bacteria could be a part of one's culture and really regional, you know, that's what cheese is all about. That's what wine is all about. Right. So it's like the terroir, but you know, instead your weird Brooklyn apartment, well, and there are different levels of uh, of regionality. So there's there, there are commodity cheeses that no longer have that association of, yeah. of the taste of the land, um, meaning the essentially the wild mold. 
um, from that land. Um, but then there are artisanal cheesemakers who do work with, you know, their land a certain way, their, their milk, uh, their animals. So yeah, I definitely think part of the idea of, of growing your own food, growing locally, growing an urban environment could be uh, not just growing plants and mushrooms in your backyard or on your windowsill, but also working with microbes and thinking about the place of microbes in food production and preservation. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's about seeing what is food uh, differently and enjoying some of that version of, of locality, not just managing the green land, but what are the things in the air that make your, your yeah. food uh, t- yeah. And even stepping it to the next level, maybe this is going too far, but terroir is literally like of the land. And where do most of that bacteria and fungi live, but in your soil? So there's also been this whole movement to create biodiversity within your soil. And that is mostly bacteria and fungi and all this other stuff. And so that's where a lot of this yeast and bacteria, fungi comes from, literally from the land. So it is also this, maybe in urban areas, who knows what, <laughs> I don't well, know. Yeah, there's still land, there's still reservoirs for all these different microbial yeah. populations. And I think, I think it's interesting thinking about what our, our, our friend, your colleague, Yemi Amu um, has often said, you know, that um, in the case of growing aquaponics, you know, that's about farming microbes and maintaining healthy balances of different um, bacterial communities that break down fish waste to make it bioavailable for plants. Mm-hmm. But I think that larger lesson, you know, is true of, of all farming where partially um, you're growing plants or mushrooms or whatever you're growing. You're also sort of farming bacteria and yeast um, and microscopic, you know, worms and, and insects that live in that soil and that create the right mix of air bubbles in the soil, you know, pockets of oxygen uh, for, for roots, which, which need that, um, that break down certain waste materials that, that can't be broken down otherwise. Uh, and yeah, and that, that just give different flavors, you know, allow different plants to grow in different ways. So I definitely think um, that's a theme that we will have to come back to. We'll talk to some experts at some point, but I like the idea of kind of farming microbes. And um, yeah, I think that, that ties right in with people gardening at home. They're also starting to uh, have that pet status of the, the sourdough starter at home. And, and I just, it's all over the internet. Like, I just felt like we had to mention it because it, it's, it's definitely a meme. Um, I have not done a sourdough starter yet <laughs> this uh, this pandemic. Well, it's kind of interesting. Also, just like, what is the word um, when people are afraid of fungi? Because yeast is in within like the fungi. Mycophobia, I guess it would be. I'd, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, but. mycophobia. But then there's also a love of fungi. Well, that's mycophilia. I, I mycophilia? Think that... So maybe we're just going into this weird mycophilia stage. And part of that is yeast. Would that make sense? I don't know. They're not mushrooms, but they're within the same. Well, they are fungi. They're in the same family, right? Yeah. So I think um, we're definitely in a mycophilia moment culturally um, beyond just great mushroom farms out there, like uh, our friends at Smallhold and, and many others. Um, there are just a lot of cultural artifacts. Uh, so you have, um, on the one hand, this interest in uh, psilocybin producing mushrooms, so psychedelic mushrooms, and the idea of microdosing um, as some sort of um, mental health praxis. And, you know, macrodosing is a way to treat um, some really serious uh, psychiatric disorders. And that uh, is really the only thing that works for some people struggling, for example, with lifelong addiction problems. They, they take mushrooms yeah. once with a, a psychiatrist. Yeah. And that's, that's like a totally but, interesting moment that's um, paralleled, I think, to growing at home. I mean, I don't think they... Yes. But, but I also think we should be careful because in a sense, like, I think... Um, 
like one of the people, ah, this is interesting. One of the people that I work with in the nutrition and food studies department is Mary Nessel, who writes tons of books about how, um, you know, certain lobbyists put forth or certain nutrition companies put forth these like scientific things that like this could cure this and this could cure that and stuff like that. And I think that we have to be careful of the sense of how, you know, can mycelium really cure addiction issues? Like, I think there's those studies are still like kind of coming out and people are experimenting. And it's great that that has come back into the psychological, into the world of psychology and, um, and that, but I, but I do think that, you know, we, we still have to be careful of, of what, you know, people kind of proclaim and all these other things. Sure. Within our micro, within our micro, micro, um, that our love of mushrooms. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we have to be careful of, of unsubstantiated claims, but I'm just talking about like the news, like there, there's mycophilia in the news for various reasons. And one mm -hmm. is the Hopkins study of just what I was talking about, which is has been going on for a while and has had success. So I think I think it's fair to say that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is fair to say that some of these things are based on at least early results from some studies that seem to indicate that mushrooms, in addition to tasting great, have potential medical value that um, other cultures, frankly, might have known about and, and have never lost that knowledge, but we have not explored as much in, in the biomedical tradition um, and are now being investigated. Yep. And I think that's different from the love of just growing mushrooms um, like on a log or in a, in a tent like your, your students were, um, which is also fun. But, you know, there are all reasons why maybe people are just paying more attention and even seeing fungi um, in, in all these ways as just like really awesome, mysterious, weird organisms that are just as uh, they have just as much variety as animals or plants. It's just that they, they tend to look similarly kind of just like gray lumps of crap, but they actually have all these amazing things going on. So I think that's part of, to me, what's my interest in the mycophilia discussion is like people just recognizing that, yeah, like yeast is more related to a, a shiitake mushroom um, than it is to, you know, bacteria or a virus, certainly. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's something that like, again, you know, that's, you might know it from high school biology, but it's not something that maybe comes up a lot. But now there's sort of more cultural artifacts. And just quickly to mention one, um, there's this, this movie is so good. I just can't recommend enough watching, you know, Fantastic Fungi, the, the movie with what? Yes. And that, that's, again, just another good cultural um, touchstone that really summarizes a lot of this stuff and just makes it grammable and brings it to a bigger audience. And I don't know what that'll All look right. like might be more of a fad okay. but i think it's interesting to note as someone who researches this sort of discourse of agriculture that like mushrooms for a few years to me weren't a big part of it and now it's like there it's mushrooms all the time you know like yeah. mushrooms are all, this is, all right so this is a thing and this is where i say we have to be careful because i watched fantastic fungi i didn't watch the whole thing the other day but um and i loved it but there was a part of it. It was when um, Paul Samets was, um, he, he was doing this TED talk. He brought his mother out. He pretty much said that mushrooms cured her cancer, which like, you know, who knows, maybe this thing. And, but that is a huge, and he was like crying on stage and she was crying on stage. And I was like, what is going on here? Like I was, for me, my, my like alarms just started going off in the sense of like, you are telling everybody right now that turkey tail mushroom cured your mom's cancer. And I'm right. saying in Eastern cultures, people have been using medicinal mushrooms for thousands of years. And I do think that there's cultural knowledge within using these certain things, but I think it's also, he was doing a very dangerous thing where he was turning it into this anecdotal thing where it's actually, there is 
there's this science behind it or like, like, you know, or, or like this cultural knowledge or where that's where, that's where I actually turned off the movie. Cause I was like, with all the oh. professionals that I work with, that would not fly. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I view it. Um, I, I hear you and I just view Ted talks as a genre under themselves. And you see Ted talks like this about a range of subjects where they're hyperbolic and they tend to take, yeah, an anecdote and kind of spin it up into this big discovery. Um, but the big takeaway, I mean, the movie overall, I think is really beautiful and well told. I, I enjoyed it. I'm just saying people are now paying attention for various reasons to this whole, dom- uh, yeah. you know, kingdom of life that is, um, in, sort of inherently fascinating, but may not appear so, uh, to the casual observer, you may not see frankly, most of the diversity. And when you do see a mushroom that you're going to eat, it is just kind of a gray lumpy thing. And you don't necessarily think much about it, even if you think it tastes good. Um, but yeah, I hear you on, we shouldn't, we shouldn't sort of, um, promote unsubstantiated, you know, anecdotal evidence as like cure-alls. And, and, you know, I, I don't suggest doing that. Um, I just, I bring it up in part because yeah, we're in a moment when people are maybe hyper aware of different kinds of invisible organisms. Um, and I think, uh, you know, from sourdough starters to whatever else, you know, th- there's a way in which you can actually participate with that invisible world in some positive ways. And then I, I don't know, it just felt like yeah. something neat, uh, something a little parallel to, to yeah. just discuss. So we hope you all continue to participate in this world of microbes in a safe way and continue to think about our connection with them, especially within the food we eat and grow and why, you know, there's all of a sudden been this interest in sourdough starters or even growing mushrooms, delving a little bit deeper. And we will too. Fields theme music is by Sam Tyndall. Our amazing producing engineer at Heritage Radio is Liam Werner. And another big thanks to Liam Werner for the music on this episode. Fields is powered by Symbolcast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.